Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi. Hi. Welcome back to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the late 90s and early 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Margot Poupard. And I'm your other host, Emily Beijing. Walk with me for a moment. What if I told you Total Request Live is the reason we have Watch What Happens Live with Andy Cohen and also have to suffer through fucking moronic celeb games on the lesser Jimmy Fallon's program because of Carson Daly and the powers that be at MTV? Would you agree? <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. There's something about that uh, anything can happen energy, that freeform celebs are just like us style of talk show, I guess, that was tried out for the first time on the hollow grounds of Times Square. And that is where we will find our topic for today's episode, TRL, which as doing research for this episode reminded me that they unsuccessfully tried to reboot it in 2017, which <laughs> remember yes. 2017? It's so funny. <laughs> was that like two decades ago? It feels like so much further. I was like, when was 2017 and what else happened? Oh, my God. I feel but, like that was a uh, story. <laughs> the last time I was in New York, my friends and I ended up in Times Square because we wanted to ride the subway train that was decked out like Boardwalk Empire. Don't ask. And we half-heartedly tried to find TRL Studios but gave up pretty quick because we had a lot of mimosas at brunch. But that is how famous the TRL Times Square landscape is and how much Times Square has honestly changed even since then. And I knew people <clears throat> from New Jersey that would take the subway up 
to New York after school, like school would end at whatever hour. They would take the train up to New York and then like go be those people outside of MTV Studios right in Times Square. I was always jealous of those people. I mean, yes, about the TRL, but also that they had good enough public transportation where that was a real possibility for them and not just straight up walking home. I always envy East Coast kids (laughs) growing up. I was like, wow, you really have it all. A bus that picks you up and takes you home. Anyway, my greatest childhood achievement came one unsuspecting fall afternoon when I screamed so loud I scared my mom and my grandma who, please, try to picture me explaining TRL to my septuagenarian French grandmother who does not give a shit about American (laughs) pop culture whatsoever. I can't tell you what she cared about last Halloween or MTV. But anyway, but I screamed so loud and scared them because my request for I Want It That Way for uh, from Backstreet Boys finally made the lower third uh, crawl screen. To be honest, I'm surprised I didn't get grounded for freaking out so loud over a stupid TV show. But yes, in 1999, the greatest thing you could ask for is to get recognized by the behemoth that was TRL. Trust me, I did not shut the fuck up about that at school for like the next week or more. It was a crowning moment of childhood. I'm so jealous. I don't know if I ever came that close. I mean, I definitely was featured on local radio stations in DC, but that's about it. Never, never the TRL national level of fame, unfortunately. Yes. All of the fame and fortune have to tell people to tell me that I won't stop talking about it, (laughs) whether they like it or not. Did you call in TRL or did you use precious AOL minutes to place a vote for a video that you wanted to see? I definitely called. I don't think I ever used AOL for that, but I definitely called. It, I don't remember how many times, but maybe a few times. But it was definitely a ritual to watch TRL. And I had cassette tapes, like video cassette tapes, VHS, for those of oh, yeah. you yeah, younger, yeah. younger <laughs> video cassette tapes. So my sister and I would pop much like like having mixed tapes. We had mixed videotapes. And so we would have oh, the yes. tape ready to yes, go yes. to press play. And we ca- we'd capture a few from TRL, but mostly those were only like a portion of a video. So like you'd only get I was a gonna few say of- it's it's just like when you would try to onto a cassette record a song from radio, but then the DJ would cut in and it would ruin the whole vibe of the tape. And then you would also see the part where you like tried to hastily stop it before they talked anymore <laughs> yeah. and ruin the song. But recording yeah, a TRL video was very similar to that. But yes, a video, a music video mixtape, those were incredibly popular for our time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Another after school, middle school experience was that you would call your crush while the both of you watched TRL together over the phone. And in seventh grade, one dude that I had a crush on, I mean, at the time I had to pretend to be very impressed, but I guarantee you this motherfucker lied that his pit bulls were the ones featured in the DMX party up video. I was like, no, 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 there's absolutely no way. But because I had a crush and I wanted a date to Valentine's Day, I was like, oh, wow, that's so cool. I can't even like why w- haven't you told literally everybody or anybody other than me about this? Yeah. Oh, my God. Fabrication. But it's very funny <laughs> that you mentioned video cassette tapes because this next section I titled in my notes, back in my day, if you wanted to watch a music video, you had to request it. <laughs> Uh, when Bob Cusbit came to MTV in 1997 in the wake of Kurt Cobain's suicide and Michael Jackson's first allegations of abuse, it was a transitory time in terms of signature pop stars for the era. There were like, uh, I'm trying to think of 
there were like some one hit band, one hit wonder bands that happened during this time that were like kind of awkward, like fastball. Yeah, I mean, I think the pop at the time had taken a backseat. It was very much a heavy either your rock or R&B hip hop. Like there wasn't really a pop middle ground around that time. Exactly. And at the time, MTV was being pretty heavily criticized for showing fewer music videos than it had in the past. Its marquee show was singled out, and they put all their eggs in Jenny McCarthy's former Playboy Bunny playmate basket. And she quit the show after a year for bigger anti-vaxxer business and eventually The Masked Singer, which I have been texting you about incessantly because that show is bananas. Like but I that's said, a ton- only, maybe that'll be only, a mini episode in and of only- itself. <laughs> Only on The Masked Singer can an anti-vaxxer sit next to an actual licensed physician because Ken Jong, as I texted you, has kept his um, his license and board. Like he keeps taking his recertification exams to remain a licensed physician in the event that he has to become a doctor again. So I cannot imagine that in this world anywhere else could these two stand side by side. It's even funnier because Jenny McCarthy and Ken Jong have the dumbest worst guesses of everybody on that panel because they are they are both equally unqualified for this job i just i cannot i cannot i cannot just that brian austin green reveal like really took me out and it's all i've been thinking about moving back to trl as Kazbit put it quote it was a real down period Everyone's trying to figure out what MTV should be. And in reaction, five shows were created. 12 Angry Viewers is sort of like prototype to the people's couch. MTV mm. Live. Say What, which was hosted by Matt Penfield and would later eventually turn into Say What Karaoke. Artist Cut, literally zero info about this show. Maybe it was never produced. Maybe it just got announced, but could not find a single thing about Artist Cut. But I assume it sort of would be like unplugged, maybe. Yeah. That's what it. That's what the name kind of like means to me. And total request happening sort of concurrently, a bank vacated its offices at the fifteen fifteen Broadway Studios where MTV was already headquartered, and the network expanded and built a studio and made the new programming mandate just be quote unquote live because the space featured these floor to ceiling windows that overlooked Times Square. Quote, the ceiling was too low. The glass wasn't bulletproof, which I learned that doing research. It's like, I cannot believe they had that many celebrities there, that many fans there, and they didn't have bulletproof windows. That was just kind of crazy. Insane. And the space was, uh, yeah, right? I'm like, I just, okay, you just flying by the seat of your pants, I suppose. Back to the quote. The glass wasn't bulletproof. Blow your mind. And the space was noisy, but... Which I had, I didn't write it down, but I saw a quote from an exec talk about contributing to the noise factor that on Wednesdays when the Lion King would have their matinee performance, it would interfere with their sound. Which how oh, fucking loud is the Lion King, and how close is it to you guys? Two very, I think, legit questions. So it was noisy, but we just blew through all of that. For the investment of those great windows, says Judy McGrath, who ran the network with Tom Freston. But MTV didn't know what to do with their new toy. They christened the new space with MTV Live, an audience-less countdown-adjacent show that hosted live musical performances with a rotating cast of VJs, including their new hire, LA radio host Carson Daly. Cusbit knew TRL had struck a nerve when morale among the MTV employees improved when they had a genuine argument about Backstreet Boys versus NSYNC. For their fall programming slate, 
Cusbit proposed merging two of their summer experiments, Total Request and The Carson Daly Show, into one hour-long countdown show to be broadcast live from their new studio at 3.30 when kids would be returning from school. Quote, there was no genius to it, he says, which I appreciate the honesty. When we started TRL, it was just Carson, the camera guys, and a floor director. There wasn't a studio audience, and we never thought about people showing up to Times Square, which I thought was very interesting because they spent the first six months without an audience, and... You don't really remember those days, and I can only imagine it being sort of like, oh, who is this random white guy in an office building counting down music videos? So I'm glad that they did eventually add an audience, which we'll get into, but I can't even picture those days, the very, very beginning of TRL just being Carson and like a flat screen TV. It's a weird concept. I mean, I, I get it, but it is so funny like that there was at one point no live audience because I can't re- imagine a world in which, you know, there isn't someone from the audience being like, hi, my name is Emily Bajan. So I'm from Fairfax, Virginia, and I picked Britney Spears' Baby One More Time because it's the coolest music video. Woo! And then like ha- leading a charge of like screaming teenagers like that to me, TRL is is nothing without it. Exactly. There's a lot of back and forth about in in these oral histories that I read along the way about, you know, did TRL make some of these pop stars or did these pop stars make TRL? And somebody correctly said it was the audience that made both of them happen. Because in Larger Than Life, the uh, boy band book that I was reading that I was telling you about by Maria Sherman, she goes into the fact that pop music is sort of the it's one of the few things that are marketed at tween girls and takes them seriously as a demographic. And I believe TRL and this pop resurgence of the late 90s and early 2000s was proof that they can drive an entire fucking industry. And without us, you're fucked. So, you know, just be nice to us is all I'm trying to say. (laughs) TRL premiered in September of 1998 and hybridized the various familiar MTV tropes. It was a countdown show that retained the same phone number as as its 80s predecessor, Dial MTV, and that would be 1-800-DIAL-MTV, of course. Viewers would vote at night, and the videos the next day would be tabulated via the toll-free number mentioned above. Or if you had enough AOL CDs, you could vote. Speaking of, do not forget to vote. Vote early if you can via MTV's website. (laughs) Pop culture historians say that TRL cemented its identity in its very first episode when Backstreet Boys' I'll Never Break Your Heart and NSYNC's Tearing Up My Heart, whoa, okay, Um, didn't realize you guys both had the word heart in there, came in at number one and number two, respectively. According to AJ McLean, MTV would almost never play their music videos until the fans started requesting them. I got to hand it to you in sorry in terms of the like great no, late late 90s early 2000s history out of all the Backstreet Boys AJ McLean does not hold back and I appreciate that he is always down to do an interview he always pr- provides great stories about the Backstreet Boys heyday and he was by far my favorite part of the entire Backstreet Boys documentary like just great great stuff I mean, I have to say, oh, no, sorry. That was the Ron Perlman documentary. I was like, I have to say, I liked Lance Bass's mom the best out of that documentary. <laughs> We're <laughs> talking Lou, about two separate the Lou Perlman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. She was fantastic. I mean, I wasn't trying to be rude, but I, I deleted out of my notes. I made a note that AJ will come to an opening of an envelope. But I just think that he, because <laughs> I just feel like he comments all of the time. He's sort of like their rep. But it's nice that they even just have somebody who can, like you said, speak so openly and honestly and have great fun tidbits that don't incriminate or make anybody look bad so i do appreciate him and he is also currently on dancing with the stars so (laughs) 
AJ, AJ is always busy. Let's see. Johnny No Name might not be as busy, but AJ McLean stays booked. Okay. <laughs> Way to bring it back. Way to bring it back. <laughs> anyway, Backstreet Boys, Insane, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera videos would be, go on to become so dominant and so popular that producers had to invent a rule where videos that spent more than 65 days at number one were quote unquote retired in order to allow other acts and their fans and stan armies to have a sweet, sweet taste of TRL victory. But in order for TRL to truly transform into what we remember the most, the wall-to-wall fans, obviously, like we had just talked about, who looked exactly like you, we've got to go to where all great ideas are conceived, a company offsite in Montauk. (laughs) Of course. Uh, Yeah, you know, that's where all white guys go to think. Long Island connections all the way. (laughs) Well, look, I didn't even know that was a town until I watched The Affair, so thank you for that, The Affair. Kesbit and TRL co-creator Tony DeSanto presented a new idea to their bosses. Quote, we secretly shipped a bunch of kids to Gurney's Inn, which is where they had their offsite, and had them line up outside these big windows with the shades drawn, says DeSantos. We lifted the shades, and all of a sudden you saw these kids with signs screaming, and then we opened the doors and they all ran in. And that was the way we told the network we wanted to start to bring kids into the studio, which sounds like a lawsuit waiting to happen. But apparently, that's what made TRL really start off, well, Apparently, people signed off on that, and so that became a whole thing. And it is also the key, the secret sauce to TRL's mass success, and also it's just crazy meteor- meteoric rise from here on out. The sort of like chaotic good energy blended with the audience-driven anarchy that MTV viewers were accustomed to with staples like MTV, MTV Beach House and MTV Spring Break, it also celebrated, and it also celebrated its most devoted fan base, tween girls. Again, like I was saying in Larger Than Life, Maria Sherman talks a lot about how pop music is built by and for tween girls who are often not marketed to the way that they normally are with pop music. And here comes along a show that's basically about them, us, justifying our own sometimes mocked, if not ever taken that seriously, fandom actually be in charge. A Volta retrospective that came out in 2017 when they stupidly tried to reboot the show, more on that later, put it best. Young female devotees, daughters of Beatle maniacs, and future moms to believers became the heart of TRL. Quote, girls were able to see themselves as the authors of culture, explains Gail Wald, a professor of English and American studies at George Washington University. Quote, they were pulling all the strings. The show became a really fun excuse for them to display their consumer power. Soon enough, en masse, girls, some boys, and their fearless, extremely patient parent or parents flocked the infamous Times Square sidewalk, hoping to be whisked away inside or get away from the window or, like you so perfectly illustrated, a, a coveted 15-second on-screen shout-out. Wait, was that early cameo? No, I don't think so. This <laughs> this would become the engine of the anything canon will happen chaos that we've come to love and remember the best about TRL. Let's party like it's 1999, because by 1999, this was the zenith of teen pop boom, and TRL averaged 853,000 views per day, according to Nielsen. And this is like 3.30 p.m. on a weekday type of numbers. So that, to me, is wild, because daytime television, as you know, the viewership is not exactly huge. So to have seen that kind of those kinds of numbers in like late 90s TV that weren't primetime, uh, just insane. What daytime TV show could get anywhere close to the neighborhood of a million views? I, I really I, can't think. I mean, maybe Ellen, Oprah, maybe? like an Oprah special in the Oprah, 90s. That would have probably, to be a special, yeah. though. 
Yeah, like this the, is like daily things. fucking viewers at yeah. its peak. Daily viewers, insane. Quote: When we look back at it, there will never be as pure and as fun and as happy a ride or time as when TRL was at its zenith. It was just the greatest ride that you could ever have in pop television, says Qsbit. Researcher, writer, producer Brian Terry explains that Total Request Live is basically the musical equivalent of Sports Center. TRL provided the pulse of what exactly tweens were into at that very moment. Quote, it was as scientific as it possibly could be back then, Hughesbit says of the tabulation. It is interesting that the TRL crescendo coincided with the music industry's last big boom, pre-Napster. I mean, it was created in 99, but it hadn't become a huge thing yet. And post-cassette, Known as the money printing machine as CDs, baby, it shouldn't be a surprise that Backstreet Boys Millennium and InSync's No Strings Attached did buku numbers right at the same time that TRL was averaging these huge fucking ratings every single day. It was a part of the cycle. Like you, for your media appearances as a band, you release the album the day of, you make an appearance uh, on TRL. And I, I think it directly contributed to those same day same week sales that we saw like these not these albums sold a ton of copies but it was the numbers that were coming out of same day um and then same week record sales that were bonkers yeah and like you said you can probably draw a direct line from trl to that especially i mean what wasn't the thing on release day you go and you buy it and then you go to trl and then wait outside and hope that you'll see someone who can sign it Right. I mean, that, that feels like the psych, the album cycle of same day sales. Exactly. But Total Request Live became TRL officially after Carson and Dave Holmes adopted the abbreviated name in 1999. By 2000, it was a recognizable fixture in pop culture and was respected as such. It also terrified a lot of established acts. There's kind of like a funny story about, I mean, take this with a grain of salt about Mel Gibson and how much he dreaded going on TRL because he didn't feel like he fit in and remember when they had that giant wall where everybody would sign it he had written Mm. something to the effect of like something about his decrepit soul which i was like yeah your soul is decrepit at least you know you know now we all know now we said it now we all know i'm surprised you didn't write sugar tits or something like that on there maybe he was too scared but you know you're popular when you get an unsuccessful spinoff, which we got TRL Weekend, and when people start to copy you and country music channels started Most Wanted Live, which only lasted a couple of years. The show evolved over time from graphics to guest interactions. Remember they had that photo booth for the longest time, then that wall where guests could draw their own self-portrait, giving it this like real clubhouse feel, which made yes. you, which would like suck you in even further. Like you could see yourself again. You not only see yourself in the audience, but you could see yourself being there. You could see, you could even see yourself in the photo booth with Britney. Like it, it, everything felt very accessible. And also, a part mm-hmm. of it was all of this stuff was happening live. So if you missed it, then you were not in on the joke, or you missed t- Mark Hoppus riding around naked on a tricycle. Like you would miss those sort of like organic moments that kind of only happened that you wouldn't be able to watch back at any point in time, unless mm-hmm. they played a rerun. Yeah. But like a lot of topics we've covered this season, TRL struggled to adapt its tone in the aftermath of 9-11, especially considering where they were. So they let their audience inform their decisions. In the first few days back, the show became kind of like a group therapy session between celebrities. So they had Justin Timberlake and Lenny Kravitz and Moby on that week. And they would talk to celebrities and shell shock fans. And in 2000, or sorry, in October of 2001, Rudy Giuliani even dropped by. Quote, tons of credit to Carson. Where he understood his voice and place in that time, a former writer, producer for TRL says, he was like, sorry, he was really like, hey, let's talk about this. And this can be a place where young people can just talk about this and we're not going to solve anything and we're not going to try and figure out anything. But 
we get that up until this point. We've only been in this place for you to talk about what's on your mind musically. Well, obviously now something bigger is on a lot of our minds and we can talk about it. And to think about it that way, I mean, it makes it a very local show in some ways at that point, too, because like much like I was saying earlier, you know, I know people from New Jersey and and I bet you in Long Island as well who would take transportation, public transportation to New York, go stand, stand in the audience. A lot of these kids or, you know, teens or tweens were probably dealing with the fact that, you know, either they lost someone in the attacks or knew someone, you know, by in relation to all that. So I can imagine it felt, even though this, this show was a nationally broadcast show, I can imagine that like helping with these teens cope with their feelings, there was some national level to it, but also a local component since a lot of the people probably coming in were from New York. Or the greater New York area. Well, I mean, Diddy famously had offices directly across the street for the longest time, if you yeah. want to talk about that kind of like local vibe, right? But I would say definitely credit to Carson in the sense that he was the only adult I saw speaking to teens um, in sort of like a plain, frank way that you didn't really get from teachers or maybe even established late night hosts who kind of, you know, took on... I mean, not saying that he didn't have a somber tone, but I felt... Like it wasn't like you either got if you were a teen, you either got talked to like a baby or you kind of were talked to too much like an adult um, and you weren't ready to like process things on that level. So all the credit really to Carson for being able to hold that down. And as we have talked about throughout this whole season, 9-11 took out a lot of career. So it's quite impressive that he was able to kind of keep the boat afloat during kind of like a trickier time. Um, and not really having a ton of experience navigating that exact situation kind of speaks to why he's been such an enduring host presence, I think. Anyway, on a lighter note, a year later in October of 2002, TRL celebrated its thousandth episode, and the number one video that day was Dirty by Christina Aguilera. As 2002 went on, Carson Daly eventually would be phased out. By 2003, Carson left for his own show, Last Call with Carson Daly, which lasted for a lot longer than you'd think. Post-Carson exit, a rotating cast of new young VJs, which I'm sure you'll talk about, kept the show alive. But with the advent of YouTube in 2005, TRL's viewership sagged, falling falling below 400,000 viewers. For comparison, The Hills was airing at that exact same time and was getting 4 million viewers, a clear indicator of where MTV was headed next. Hit closing time, the song, please, because MTV finally pulled the plug after 2,247 episodes in November of 2008. The last music video to play on TRL was Baby One More Time, since that video had made number one on the countdown of its most iconic videos of all time. The countdown would prove to be one of the most watched and most interactive shows of recent MTV history. Demonstrating it had potential to become an even larger success by combining that element with live television, which like the live television aspect, I think, really gave it that vibe of anything can and will happen, even to celebrities, because they are just like us. Look at look at Mariah Carey hugging a random stranger from the crowd. <laughs> and now a quick note about the reboot before you talk to us about some casting choices. The whole charm of TRL was the rush of running home directly after school to watch it exactly at 3.30. So when MTV decided to reboot it in 2017, which, again, (laughs) remember 2017? Um, God. My first rhetorical question was, what fucking teen gives a shit about requesting anything? If no one watches TV at the same time anymore, what makes you think that teens who have iPhones and the internet without AOL CDs will care about this reboot that is the equivalent of having Netflix mailing you a DVD? It was going to be that dreaded buzzword from three years ago, multi-platform experience. 
from Facebook, which <laughs> teens are not on Facebook, my guys, to YouTube, slightly better, to live streams on Live.ly and Musical.ly. It was hosted by a quote-unquote vinylum. I think it's been canceled. For context, MTV has attempted to also reboot Fear Factor and The Hills to varying degrees of success. I have some moments that we can talk about once you walk us through some VJs and how they got there, but, you know, save the best for last. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's when you're talking about Carson Daly getting a start in radio, it is kind of interesting. You'll find out when we're going through all this casting They did it in a variety of ways. They seem to have tried it using viewer votes, which we'll talk about with Wanna Be a VJ. They also went and looked for radio talent or talent abroad in Canada and other countries. And then they even went through the route of casting pageant queens. In fact, several people who hosted TRL at one point or another or co-hosted were former pageant queens. But We'll get into that in a bit. Uh, First and foremost, we have to start talking about the man, the myth, the legend, and now co-host of the Today Show on NBC, which is really not the trajectory anyone saw coming for him. But I don't hate it. And I also appreciate seeing him wear black nail polish still every once in a while. We, of course, are talking about Carson Daly. Daly attended Loyola Marymount University in L.A., dropped out to pursue a pro golf career, which I did not realize I forgot that because he also yes. he lived in the desert for he lived in the desert for a time, yes. which is Sean yes. has my husband has a a tangential like friend of a friend of a friend that yes. knows Carson, but he lived in well, Palm Springs, Palm Desert because of the golf scene out there. And Sean always oh, yes. reminds me of that. Yes, in <laughs> fact, he's from there. So he he was born in Santa Monica, but his mother was a like famous host in the Coachella Valley, like was, I think, like a local TV host or something like that. After the golf career did not pan out, <laughs> served as an intern to Jimmy Kimmel when Kimmel was a radio DJ. And he would go on to begin his radio career as an intern for Kimmel at KCMJ FM, not now KKUU in Palm Springs under the name Kid Carson. Then would later continue his career in the radio station KOME in San Jose. He was given then the 6 to 10 p.m. time slot at K-Rock in L.A. So in the mid-90s, he's working at Kid Rock in L.K. Sorry, he's working at K-Rock in L.A. Well, and it's funny that you have that per- per- Ferudian slip because he does go on to become friends with Kid Rock, which I was like, oh, Carson, do better. No, he can do so much better. He um, gets recruited by MTV to be a VJ during the summer beach house programming, one show that was called Motel California. And then at the end of the su- that summer, and that's like 1998, MTV hires him as a permanent VJ. He goes and moves to New York, and then he starts hosting MTV Live. And then the, the show, as you know, as you mentioned earlier, kind of merges uh, to become TRL, and he's a host from 1998 to 2003. And he will go on to join NBC in like 2002. Uh, which is when he's on Last Call with Carson Daly. As you know, he is now one of the many hosts of the Today Show and the host of The Voice and has done very well for himself. But, you know, once Daly leaves um, and bef- even before he leaves, there are several other 
characters in the cast that are worth mentioning. Most specifically, we need to talk about Wannabe of EJ. So MTV gets this idea in 1998 that in addition to having Carson Daly hosting TRL, they want to tap talent using a TV competition show format, which was kind of still new at the time. The most two most famous people that came out of this, of course, are Jesse Camp and Dave Holmes, who we'll both talk about. Those of you out there who are consider yourselves pop culture scholars might know Dave Holmes actually became a VJ because he placed runner-up in MTV's first ever wannabe a VJ contest. And you might remember that the winner of that competition, surprisingly, was Jesse Camp. In 1998, MTV decided to start this competition show, which was hosted by Carson Daly. The premise had contestants being selected from the crowd around MTV's Times Square office, um, as well as mail submissions, video submissions, and all that, narrowed down through several rounds of challenges that tested pop culture knowledge, music knowledge, personality. And then they got to six final contestants, which was then determined by votes um, from viewers via phone and internet. The winner would be awarded $25,000 and a one-year contract to be a VJ on TRL. The first competition in 1998, which had over 4,000 applicants, dwindled down to the two finalists, Dave Holmes and Jesse Camp, with Camp unexpectedly winning, which caused many people to think the competition was rigged. And it turns out it was. The Village Voice was able to do oh. some heavy investigative oh, no. work and figure out that the really? competition, <laughs> competition had been rigged by a teenager who hacked into the system who went by the username Ugly Pig. When asked why he did it, Ugly <laughs> Pig, who is still anonymous to this day, who voted for Jesse Camp really? over, over 3,000 times. I tried to find out who this person was. They're probably a VP at Google at this point because of this like hacking that was done. <laughs> but the quote, I just- Or maybe to- they're not. Maybe they're anonymous, Emily. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Have you ever oh, thought of that? God, I hope not. <laughs> then we're really fucked. Um, the quote that I should just <laughs> mention is that came out of this article was, quote, I just like Jesse better. He didn't seem like the typical MTV VJ, all corporate and shit. So I made him win. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, fuck the man. This kid was probably a diehard new metal fan. Like I can just see this kid Limp Biscuit posters and all all over his Limp Biscuit and corn constantly. Constantly. This story reminded me of the time the big STEM magnet school where I grew up, Thomas Jefferson High School, or TJ, as it's known colloquially, rigged a radio contest in 2000 where winners would get Mandy Moore to perform a concert at their school. This was done by Z104, which is like the big hit music station when I was a kid. 
contest was done via online voting on their website. Students were allowed to vote for the school as much as once a day uh, for the duration of the contest. But because this is a school of nerds, they came up with a couple of computer programs to hack the system and then ended up winning. And then there was a rival high school that followed suit and voted and put together their own vote generating script to compete with them. In the future, when they tried to do contests like this, they had to like put together rules that computer generated voting was no longer allowed since the rules had technically allowed that to happen. But I just remember when this happened, it was like this big local story because they got to have Manny Moore at their school, despite like their high school being like a fraction of the population of some of the other high schools in the area. But fun local story. Going back to Jesse Camp and Dave Holmes, Jesse Camp obviously didn't last very long. He was only on MTV until 1999, but Dave Holmes did very well for himself on MTV. In addition to being a substitute host on TRL and kind of sometimes hosting alongside Carson Daly, he would go on to host 120 Minutes after Matt Penfield left, Video Clichés, Real World Reunion Specials, and then Say What Karaoke, which we talked about earlier. Um, His career lasted until 2002 when he left MTV and has gone on to do very well for himself, hosting other TV shows. He's done several podcasts, and he's an editor at Large at Esquire. We stand on this podcast. I I think you and I have talked about Dave Holmes a few times. I really like that guy. I I cannot recommend his review for the movie Book of Henry. I don't think a single piece of writing has made me laugh that hard since like Z-Way's recaps of 90 Day Fiance. I read it. You'll be in tears. I laughed so hard. Anyway, I love Dave Holmes. He also has a podcast with Matt McConkey that's very funny. I it, The name is escaping me now, but if I remember, I'll put it in the show notes or I'll just shout it like I do when I remember something mid-conversation. So I do need to talk about Jesse Camp a little more um, because he had. Oh, he, Jesus. <laughs> look, he took it. His unwashed hair set such a terrible precedence at my high school and middle oh, school. Oh, dear afterwards. God. It was entire. His persona was entirely made up for this contest, um, but he capitalized on his 15 minutes of fame, got an album deal with Hollywood Records to release this album, Jesse and the Eighth Street Kids, which ends in a Z. Oh, God, um, I remember that. The album was produced by Rob Cavallo, who produced like Green Day and Kid Rock, um, and then specialized. <laughs> it was like 80s glam metal. And then Stevie Nicks did a duet with him on this album. What? Yeah. I, it was no, wild. I refuse that. Wild. I refuse that wild. on the <laughs> Since then, he hasn't done nope. much. He was last, he had been working at a pet store at one point, reported as missing by his sister in 2018 to the Riverside Police Department but was found like five days later safe. But that's really kind of the end of Jesse Camp. The Wannabe of VJ contest aired again in 1999 and 2000 to like varying levels of success. Of course, as you all know, Carson Daly would go on to leave the show in 2003. And MTV, much like when Lindsey Buckingham was kicked out of Fleetwood Mac and they needed two people to replace him, they decided that they needed multiple people to replace Carson Daly. Those individuals include Damian Fahey, Hillary Burton, Vanessa Manillo, um, Caduce, Lala Vasquez, and Susie Castillo. Some of these MTV VJs had been on the show before or had been hosting other things at MTV, but all have very interesting how-did-they-get-here moments. I'm going to start with Damian Fahey, who to me always looked like a more skater version of Brian McFadden, Wait, who was also... sorry. I just have a small interjection. So please, they, please. the reason why they hired all of these VJs is because they couldn't get Nick Cannon to be the host. That's who they what? really, truly wanted. 
Yes. But before that, the first name that they threw around before Nick Cannon, they started at Chris Rock and then they dropped down to Nick Cannon. Then when that didn't work, they're like, (laughs) fine, we'll get 17 people instead, which is like very like stack seven toddlers on top of each other and put them in a trench coat kind of vibe. But when I read that, I was like, that is that is Okay, that's not the response I would have gone if I couldn't get Nick Cannon, but sure, yes, let's get six people to host one show. I mean, as we discussed during our SNCC episode, Cannon basically ran SNCC for a couple of years at like 17 years old. I think at that time he was, they said he was essentially like a Will Smith protege and he was focusing more on his movie career and that's why he didn't want to do it. But he obviously goes on to host while and out. So he he has a good relationship, but at that time, it was just not a match. I mean, he he is very much a Viacom baby. He has been on all their networks, so good for him. Damien Fahey, who I always thought looked like Brian McFadden, but like a more skatery yes. version of Brian McFadden, right? Who mm-hmm. also was mm-hmm. an MTV VJ who sometimes hosted TRL. Not as much as Dave Holmes, though. He had been he has been turned I, out. But over- I still confuse the two of them, though, in my head, I have to yes. look at a picture because I was like, which one am I talking about? Yes. So, I yes, think I, I think has he looks so much slightly darker hair. That might be like the one like I think McFadden, at least in the late 90s, was doing a bit more of a, fro- a frosted tips look that probably frosted tip. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so it turns out Fahi now is a writer on Family Guy and has been since 2017 and is also a radio DJ in Excuse LA. Me? I know. An interesting career trajectory. Wait, on which station? My FM. It's like one of those like mix stations, like adult contemporary mix stations. Prior to MTV. Interesting. Yes. Fahi had been a radio DJ in Boston and heard MTV was looking for VJs. He was apprehensive because he had really bombed a bad TV audition recently, but was convinced to go check it out. He kept calling the casting director after auditioning and a month later got the gig. At the same time, he had been sleeping on a blow-up mattress and was broke, so yay for him. But that's really how Damien Fahey got there. There are going to be, in throughout this whole thing, there are going to be people who got it through, like, casting calls, people who just, you know, ended in the, like, ended up in this role. It's all very random. Hillary Burton, another person that I want to call out here, she is from Northern Virginia like me. She's from Sterling and went to high school with a friend of mine. She was hired as a VJ shortly after high school um, and was supposed to be a guest commentator for one segment, but the producers ended up liking her so much they decided to offer her a more permanent job. And she went on to present on a bunch of various things. She was brought on as one of the replacement hosts in around 2003, but only stays for about two years, which is around the time she's cast as Peyton on One Tree Hill. Hillary Burton, I mean, she her career at MTV was only a couple of years long, but obviously we know her best for One Tree Hill and some of the other things that she's been on. Obviously, as you all know, or many of you know, while she was hosting um, MTV Spring Break, she was like was interviewing Ben Affleck. And as you all know, we are not fans of Ben Affleck because he is the worst. He proceeded to grope her and and kiss her on air. And so when the Me Too allegations started coming out against Harvey Weinstein and Ben Affleck began publicly denouncing Weinstein, uh, she was like, this you on him, uh, showing off the video of what had happened, you know, 15 years prior. He's since apologized, but yeah, fuck Ben Affleck. Um, She's also one of the female cast crew members on One Tree Hill who has called out um, the creator, Mark Schwann, who's um, had a lot of allegations of sexual assault and sexual harassment on the show. 
Um, but all in all, she seems to be doing really well because she is married to Jeffrey Dean Morgan. They seem fairly happy. I'm glad that she's had a happy ending. But yeah, oof, she did not have such a great time at MTV. In terms of some of the other co-hosts, Vanessa Manillo, who we now know as Vanessa Lachey, she is one of our, she's the first of the beauty queen um, VJs. So she got her start by being crowned Miss South Carolina Teen USA and went on to win Miss Teen USA in 1998. She was the first Miss Teen USA from South Carolina and also the first from South Carolina to be named the pageant's Miss Congeniality, fun fact. She ends up getting hired by MTV after that and is a host from 2003 until 2007 and became correspondent for Entertainment Tonight and has gone on to host pageants, other award shows. Um, And as we all know, she is married to Nick Lachey, so she's done very well for herself. Um, Caduce, who I had to remember how you pronounced his name because he spells it Q-U-D-D-U-S. So I made sure to look that up before this. He's actually Canadian and he first started in Toronto where he was on a local music show called Breakdown, which was a radio show for CHUO 89.1 FM. Then he ended up being on the show Much Music VJ Search, which was basically the Canadian wannabe of VJ. He didn't win, but then ended up hosting a show on called Vox, which was on TV in Ontario, and then was poached by MTV and selected to be one of the hosts of TRL. And then he made his debut in 2001, eventually becoming one of the main co-hosts after Carson Daly left. He was also hosting MTV Hits, MTV Does Miami, TRL Presents, Christina Script, which I forgot. Like, do you remember when TRL used to do specials? Like, this was a whole, like, there would be an album release. So in addition to, you know, the regular TRL programming, there would be, like, a special on that album. So this one was one for, like, Christina Aguilera's album, Stripped. Um, He was there until 2005, and then he's gone on to do a few things here and there on other networks and is the founder and CEO of the Q-Side Entertainment, which is his business. I think he helps train people to like get their on-air presence to be better. I don't know. Interesting job choice. Uh, Sounds like it involves a lot of improv work, if I had to guess. Probably. Uh, Lala Vasquez, who is now Lala Anthony. Um, she ends up. Is she still? Yes, they got divorced. They they reconciled. They reconciled. Oh my god! Really? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Two years ago, I thought they had stayed. I I thought they were still divorced as well. But uh, Lala, much like Nick Cannon, apparently was just like some crazy hosting prodigy. So. At the age of 15, she began her entertainment career in radio at WHTA-FM Hot 97.5 in Georgia. So she does an internship in high school. And then while in high school, she's given her own show on the radio called Future Flavas along rapper Ludacris. This is (laughs) so a a teenager in high school has a show with Ludacris on the radio Um, Yeah, that all tracks for me, I think. That all tracks. I mean, they're also still famously lifelong friends. Oh, yes. Yes, I didn't know that they had this show, but I just assumed that they were friends like through MTV. I had no idea it started this far back. But yeah, sure. Let's give Luda and Lala a show. Why not? What else are we doing? (laughs) In 19, she got an offer to go to LA's 92.3 The Beat to co-host her own radio show, The B-Side. After doing that, she left the station in 2001 to go join MTV. 
She had had no on-TV experience prior to this. Um, Like a lot of the other people, her background was in radio. She becomes a huge success there. She goes on, in addition to being a co-host on TRL, she's one of the co-hosts of Direct Direct Effect, which I had completely forgotten about. Um, She leaves TRL in 2006, goes on, obviously, to have a very successful acting career and hosting career. She's in Two Can Play That Game, Single Ladies, the reboot of Beverly Hills 90210, and The Chai. And then I forgot that she was the dean on Flavor of Love Charm School with Ricky Lake, which magnificent. Oh. <laughs> and of course, I knew she, she was on something that was bad, you know, per se. Like it's not all just prestige hosting gigs for her. I knew there oh, was no. something else. And her marriage. So of course, she's married to Carmelo Anthony. They split for a bit, reconciled in late 2018. But their marriage is chronicled on a few uh, La La related reality shows that I believe were on VH1, mm-hmm. if I recall correctly. Yeah. So she had- I think she, you're right. Yes. Yeah. She had a slew of reality shows that chronicled her marriage with Carmelo Anthony and just her life in general. So Lala has done very well for herself. Um, one of the final ones I'm going to bring up from this kind of crop of new class TRL hosts, for lack of a better term, Susie Castillo- um, is really interesting because she too was a beauty pageant queen and she actually competed against Vanessa Manillo in the Miss Teen USA pageant in 1997. She was Miss Massachusetts Teen USA 1998 and then would go on in November of 2002 to compete in the Miss USA 2003 pageant um, and win that pageant. And then she gets the gig with MTV. So she's obviously a host of TRL and then helped launch Me TRL on the MTV Tress Network in September of 2006. She's done a little bit of acting here and there since then. She had a regular role on Tyler Perry's House of Pain and has had kind of brief appearances on a, other, a couple of other shows and movies. But um, that's really Susie Castillo. I'm going to get into the revival and the two people that they cast for that, because obviously Sway, as we know, was a part of this. But Sway had been a VJ with MTV News for many years. Jamila Mustafa uh, was also a beauty pageant queen. She is from Wilmington, Delaware, and went to Delaware State University, where she was crowned Miss DSU and also crowned Miss Teen Essence at one point. She graduated in 2015 college, and then she ended up getting a gig with BET, where she wrote, hosted, and produced a lot of their digital content, including BET Breaks, and then did interviews for iHeartMedia before going to work for MTV. And then Kevin Kenny, the other guy who joined the TRL revival, got his start hosting bar trivia in New Jersey and would later go on to be a digital host for Billboard News before getting his break with MTV. But that's really what I have for casting. It was kind of a hodgepodge. I was surprised there wasn't a more structured format to it. But, you know, it's it's a lot of this is an interesting radio personality. Let's see how they do on TV or this person was great in this pageant. And then, you know, the natural progression, a lot of times uh, when you win some of those pageants is to get a hosting gig for the next year's pageant or some other kind of competition show. And, you know, that kind of segues nicely. But it is interesting to think that, you know, at one point getting a gig as a VJ could come out of being a beauty pageant contestant. I mean, just take away the lesson from Drop Dead Gorgeous. You know, you just want to be your your own next TV anchor. And sometimes you take a little detour into VJ dumb. I mean, they were there were a lot of articles that talked about how Carson sometimes was even more popular or famous than some of the people that he was interviewing. And they all kind of took on a life of their own for that 
moment in time. And I think a lot of them were a lot savvier than I think maybe like who we turn to for like some current hosting gigs, like people that are on TikTok or like from YouTube. I think like like you were saying, like Hillary Burton and like Lala Vasquez were able to turn this into like an acting career, but then still go back to hosting. I mean, just look at Carson. I cannot believe he's been hosting his entire adult life. So in addition to being like a really nice person, according to Tara Reid and Tara Reid's mom. But obviously what you all remember the most about TRL are moments like Mariah Carey showing up with her ice cream truck or Backstreet Boys shutting down Times Square twice in one week. Eminem crying. Diddy running running on a treadmill. I think my favorite, though, and I and. And then we can discuss this a little bit more, but this is my favorite because I completely forgotten it. It's Peak Prince. So this is a story that Dave Holmes tells uh, Billboard magazine, um, quote, we were supposed to do this whole hour based on Prince. He showed up 10 minutes before the show was over with an entourage, including one guy who held like a tub of cheese balls, but with a sign on it that said swear jar. If you took the Lord's name in vain, you had to put coins in it. Oh, because this Carson is Prince's Prince, phase when he's a Jehovah's Witness. So he is a Jehovah's Witness, yes. but there is a phase in Prince's career in life in which he took it very seriously and actually edited things like Erotic City. He would go and re-release like edited versions of some of his famous songs. Sorry, I had to interrupt with that because well, this is a very key reason. Oh, no, it's reason. fine. Yes. Because this this era of Prince is also how I learned that Jehovah's Witnesses do not celebrate their birthday. I was like, what? Prince doesn't celebrate his birthday? Like, it was a completely foreign concept to me <laughs> for some reason. Yes. Anyway, Carson says to Prince, we were expecting you a little earlier, so there's a lot we have to get through. We don't have a lot of time. And Prince responded, I don't use time. And Carson responds, so what do you use? And Prince replies, truth. <laughs> <laughs> God, I miss Prince so much. I feel like these were the types of stories that, that- <laughs> such a perfect, uh. perfect interaction. Like ten out of ten Prince interaction. I use oh. truth. I, I think, and we can circle back up to the top because this has recently come back up again because Mariah Carey has her memoir that's out recently, and she talks about this ice cream truck incident. I call it an incident. Some people call it a breakdown. I rewatched the clip today, and. It's not as bad as I think people remember it to be. I think it's just the timing of it came across as bad because she was checked into a hospital for exhaustion, which in the book, apparently she, because I haven't read it, I've just been told and have read excerpts, but she talks about how at this point she was like on zero sleep. She was like promoting or getting ready to promote glitter, recording an album, and also working on this movie that we must watch for bad movie night called like Wise Girls with... I want to say Minu Suvari and like another character actor from the 90s and early Mm, 2000s. That mm -hmm. was like Magnolia. I'll look up the IMDb and send it to you later. But anyway, so she was literally exhausted and not sleeping. And she, if you watch that weird MTV or I'm sorry, if you watch that weird e-reality show that Mariah did a few years ago when she was engaged to James Packer, she is notoriously a night owl. Like she does everything that she does at night. And so if she's got to go to TRL, It's going to be during the day. So she's like not running on tons of sleep. But the thing that really did bother me the most that I agree with the consensus is that Carson was not amused by the whole thing and was like, was not interacting. He was not yes anding her bit. But by all accounts from Mariah and the producers, that was 100% staged. Like that was all talked about beforehand. She was going to go out. She was going to take off her top. She was going to give it to him. She was going to hand out ice cream. It was like already all a bit because the way that they had, kind of put it 
in one of the retrospectives I read was that she had already been on TRL like two or three times that month. And so they're like, fine, we'll let you come in here and promote the Loverboy single and Glitter. But you got to have a shtick. You got to do something a little bit extra. You got to like, you can't just like show up and like sing and then leave or whatever. And so she came in and whether or not Carson was surprised, I don't know. But he did. He does seem irritated with her, but it doesn't seem as unhinged as you might remember it. But I also think the best behind the scenes tidbit that I read was that Mariah would come to, and I expect nothing less of our diva, Mariah would come to TRL with her own lighting team. So she did not use the lights at TRL studio. She had her own team come and follow her around. And you know, what a, I just, I love this woman. She's the best. Oh my God. My, I'm trying to think of some of my favorite moments. So obviously P Diddy going on the treadmill and continuing to work out even while Britney Spears visits for an interview and she proceeds to wipe the sweat off of him at one point. Um, and then well, I do you remember people didn't believe that he was actually training for the New York City Marathon. So he came on TRL to prove that he wanted to <laughs> prove to everybody that he was for real training and that he was going to like, I guess you also didn't think that he would finish it and it was like all for show or whatever. And so that's why he was running on the treadmill for like an hour straight. Oh, man, the man never disappoints. I truly love the work he did on MTV, be it with making the band or just anything or any appearance he ever made on MTV for about five or six years during that like late 90s, early 2000s period. It just sheer entertainment. Um, the As we discussed in the dream episode, that man lives his life as if they are about to make a biopic about him at a moment's notice. So he's always engaging in iconic behavior so that they'll have something to write about. Truly. I also forgot that one of the highlights for me, not highlights, it was sad, but Um, I forgot that Destiny's Child broke up on TRL via a statement released to MTV News. Like, who in 2020 would use MTV News to make a major announcement? Like, that, that, that was a thing. Like, many, when I think about learning news about musicians in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was always an MTV News brief. Like, I'm pretty sure I learned even that when George Harrison died of the Beatles, I learned it through an MTV news brief. Like, that's that's how often I that like MTV news was news for me. That's crazy. Like, I don't think any band would ever break up on MTV news anymore. It's funny that you bring that up because to just tie it back to Backstreet Boys, when AJ McLean went into rehab, they oh, broke yes. the news mm-hmm. on MTV. And then they also invited the whole band like the next day or maybe even hours later to come onto the show and talk about it. And also in these retrospectives, another big moment uh, that MTV news, because, um, oh, my God, Kurt Loder talks about it in a Billboard um, article about how. He could feel the teens groaning every time he interrupted TRL to like have some big news break or whatever, even a minor news break. Just every time he had to interrupt it, he was like, I felt like the dad just being like, all right, kids, here's some news. But they had talked about how they had to break the news that Aaliyah had died in that plane crash like oh a week after she had just been on the show. Oh my and God, that was really yeah. difficult for all of them because she they considered her, you know, part of the TRL family. So and I, I don't believe I mean, they just kind of like Carson did the did what he kind of like does pretty well which is and you know not to sound like my therapist but hold space for people to have their feelings and so I remember it being kind of like a comforting thing versus like something that is just I mean it is very sad but at least it is there was some comfort in having TRL and like seeing other people mourn it so you don't feel like oh I'm the only person that cares or is affected by this or even feeling ridiculous for feeling sad about it 
crazy because I can't imagine <laughs> MTV doing that at all anymore. Like all we, we've talked about plenty of times, MTV's programming, the M in MTV doesn't really exist anymore. Right. Um, okay. So this was another really fun story that we can end with. I, I also, I mean, can we circle back to Eminem crying on live TV though for a second? Because <laughs> I feel like that's absolutely not something that we would ever see no. ever again. And no. Crying, like tears of actual joy. Like his album had come out. It was super successful. His video was successful. He had eight mile coming and he looked out the window and there were like at least, uh, at least 10,000 fans just screaming for him. And he started crying, which I'll never forget that. It was such a weird moment because he just seemed like such a dude who was above feelings I suppose for a lack of a better term and it was I don't know I highly doubt we would ever catch I mean yeah what rapper would cry on tv now Drake no yes not even Drake maybe Drake maybe I don't even know if Drake maybe Drake I'm trying to think of like the softest rapper in the game and then Drake's uh name sprung to mind you know I say this as a fan but yeah I mean could you even imagine I couldn't and you know live tv Maybe if they went on Andy Cohen's Watch What Happens Live, because I feel like that's the only show that kind of gets even remotely close to the chaotic energy that was happening on TRL. I will leave you with this last very funny story. Not even like funny story, but like behind the scenes story that only someone our age would give a shit about. So this guy named Vinny. Oh, gosh, I'm going to I might butcher this because it is a little Italian, but. Potestivo. He was the director of talent and series development from 1998 to 2007. And he has a fun story about Beyonce. In general, I'd hang out in the backstage or green room area because I was trying to make relationships with talent so that we could build shows around them. I met Beyonce when she was still with Destiny's Child, and I tried to convince her to become a VJ. But she didn't really want to do that, but she wanted to get into acting. So that led to MTV's Carmen the Hip Hop Hip Opera. Oh, my God. (laughs) I, I thought that was just so fucking funny that this dude was just kind of like hanging about trying to capitalize on this way. I mean, like a really smart and obviously like forward thinking idea would be to just make friends with these up and coming stars. Right. Because you never know. Yeah. And how much could it possibly cost him TV if they're already putting aside a certain amount of money to produce X amount of content with X amount of X, um, up and coming stars. So trying to convince Beyonce, who I trying to think of her as a VJ, like how different would her life be? Like she would def, would she be with Jay-Z? I don't even know. That's some sliding door shit that I, I will be haunted by for at least the next week. But the fact that it, it led to a passion of hers that she wanted to kind of pursue that maybe she wouldn't be given the opportunity to if MTV wasn't doing this like, yeah, fuck it. Let's just try it and see what happens kind of attitude would have never happened. So and I love that movie for whatever it's worth. Like anytime I hear classical pieces from the opera, Carmen, I'm like, oh, yeah, the, the hip opera, <laughs> Carmen, because <laughs> I am cultured. Any other last thoughts about TRL and its legacy? I just, I mean, I'm thinking about the, I thought a lot about the Backstreet Boys documentary, different from the Lou Pearlman documentary as I was doing this research and just obviously the day Millennium came out, there were thousands of fans. And then I'm remembering that they did the appearance on TRL for Black and Blue. And that when I watched the Backstreet Boys documentary, they talked about how they had been up for 72 hours. Like they'd been on planes nonstop so they could be in New York, LA, and then make international appearances. Like it was a frenzy, like 72 hour ordeal. Like I just, I can't believe what 
some of these 19, 20, 21 year olds were doing for promotion back then, truly, especially now that we're not going anywhere, (laughs) would never happen these days. Yeah. I mean, even I guess that was something that all of the stars had in common on TRL too, right? Was just they were in the middle of a giant promo cycle that we weren't exactly savvy to at that time. But looking back, it would explain why some of these appearances on TRL were so like one of a kind because they were sleep deprived and in the middle of jetting around to God knows what promoting who knows what. Mm -hmm. But I I think that the reboot was definitely a misguided grab at nostalgia because you really cannot recreate the cultural moment that TRL came up in. It's just it is a time past and you got to come up with something different if you want to do some sort of like music video countdown, which, like you said, the music part of MTV doesn't really exist anymore. And it's it, it has fully kind of like pivoted back into this like Hills reality show. And, you know, their dating show, Are You the One, is pretty good. You know, it was a fun experiment. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Old Millennials. If you enjoyed this episode, you might enjoy a bunch of other episodes. We have, like Emily had mentioned, a couple just dedicated to MTV shows, music videos, artists, you name it. You, We might be covering it. Who knows? Just scroll in there. It's all in the title. And if you enjoyed us so much, it'd be great if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. But if you don't listen to us on Apple Podcasts, you can definitely find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Podcasts. I do not know if you can rate and review us there, but if you can, please do. Or even better, you can just tell a friend. Also, if you want to stay up to date with whatever we are doing, because not only do we do this podcast with our voices, we do this podcast with our fingers because we type up little blog posts every now and again for our Medium page. You can follow us on Medium at Old Millennials Pod, and you can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Old Millennials Pod. And if you want to follow Emily or myself, I am at Mark She Wrote on Twitter. And I'm at Emily A. Vision. And until next time, we bid you a bye-bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.